Interesting question. How much are you worth? Hmm. Well, there are various ways to answer that question. If somebody asks me, how much are you worth? I would say, not as much as I was last quarter. <laughs> so one way to answer the question. I had a conversation on Friday that kind of diminished me a bit. I felt not worth a whole lot after that conversation. I got an email from my son this morning that really made me feel good. He loves me. <laughs> and so I'm feeling worth a whole lot more this morning than I did on Friday. And I suspect some of you have had these things. How much are you worth? Well, it depends on when you ask me. It depends on the time of year. It depends on a lot of things. But there's one way to answer that question. How much are you worth? that eternally remains the same. In Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians, he was dealing with the concept of unity. That letter that he wrote to the Ephesian church, which, by the way, was, was a church where he had spent two and a half years living among them on his third missionary journey. These people were very close to him. They knew him well, and he knew them well. He was deeply concerned for them. And that whole letter revolves around the, the statement in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, which is a, a little bit of a, a, not complicated, but it has to be understood to be understood. What he said there in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, is like the axle on which the whole book of Ephesians turns. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are very doctrinal. The last three are very applicational. And that bridge, that passage there in chapter 4, 1 to 3, is, is the bridge, the, tr the transfer from how we should believe to how we should live based on what we believe. And that passage says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you as a prisoner of the Lord to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and patience, with forbearance, showing love to one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, in that statement, there are two infinitives. I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The other infinitive is to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so from that we take the theme of the book of Ephesians is the way we walk worthy is to walk together. The only way we can walk worthy of our calling as Christians is to walk in unity. Now it takes gentleness, patience, humility, forbearance, and diligence. But that's what the whole book of this Ephesians is about. In chapter 1, which we will look at in a bit, Paul said that, uh, it's important that you understand that God brought unity between the two most diverse beings you could ever imagine. Chapter 1 describes how God made it possible for His holy self, our holy God, to have a relationship with sinful people. How is it possible that people who are alienated from God 
could enter into a unity relationship with God himself. Chapter 2, Paul dealt with the second two most diverse peoples you can imagine, the Jews and the Gentiles. In chapter 2, he explains how God took out of the Gentile population, out of the Jewish population, brought them together in this marvelous thing called the church, where Jews and Gentiles, who for centuries had alienated from each other, are now together in one body in Christ, loving one another. In chapter 3, Paul said this whole idea that the Gentiles have been invited in and we are our one body in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, this was so exciting to me. My whole life has been to be an apostle to the Gentiles to spread this beautiful gospel message. And then in chapter 4, Paul said, here's how this unity thing works in the church. Chapter 5, he said, this is how this unity thing works in the family. Chapter 6, this is how this unity thing works in the workplace, in the, in, in the largest portions of life. And then the end of chapter 6, he said, now our, our battle is, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our fight isn't with each other. Our fight is with one who is trying to destroy the church, who's trying to destroy this unity. So the whole book of Ephesians revolves around this, this central theme of unity, of being together being together in families, being together in the church, being together in our neighborhoods as Christian people. But it all begins, it all begins with this sense of how much are you worth. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, I, I just want to introduce you to this incredible chapter. This is one of the richest chapters in all of Scripture. It is the first part of it, verses 1 through 14, is so involved in Paul explaining to us how it's possible for you and me to have a relationship with the living God. And he packs so much in there that at the end of that chapter, the last paragraph, he's just praying for comprehension. I said, pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so you can comprehend this truth, this truth that you are in a personal relationship with the living God. He began with a brief introduction, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he began this explanation of how God made it possible for you and me and for the, this congregation and congregations over the centuries to together enjoy a relationship with the living God. And the first thing he said in verses 1 through 6 is God the Father planned for a relationship with us before he even created us. Let me say that again. God the Father planned a relationship with us even before he created us. Paul wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then listen to this in verse 4. For he chose us. He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. And he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's one thing 
to fool each other and to say I'm holy and blameless before you, even though you know better. But Paul said, you are holy and blameless in God's sight. How can that be? Because Jesus Christ has made you that way. When God looks at you as his child, as someone who has been redeemed in the blood of Christ, what we just celebrated here a few moments ago, he said, I have washed you spotlessly clean. Your sins which were like scarlet, are as gone, and you are as white as snow, holy and blameless before him. I have given you, God said, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When I read that, I thought of last week and the, the prodigal coming home, and the father running to meet him and threw his arms around him and said, bring out the best robe and put a ring on his finger and and, 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 and the sandals on his feet, and kill the fattened calf, and celebrate. Everything I have is his. And Jesus said, that's the picture. When your heavenly Father welcomes you home, all the blessings of heaven are yours. And that's not some afterthought with God. He chose you. You. Before he even created you. And he chose you to bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he chose to adopt you. To adopt you. That's what he says. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, the idea of predestined, he chose us, but when God makes a choice, he works that choice out. He doesn't say, boy, I hope this happens. No, predestination is a whole idea that God actively is involved in fulfilling and bringing forth his will. We studied about Joseph this week. You've heard it a couple times already. I'm with these fourth and fifth graders and beautiful kids you brought, wonderful kids, and, and my eighth grade helper. Uh, just beautiful time. And each day we had a theme. On Monday it was God loves us no matter what. On Tuesday it was God is with us wherever we are. On Wednesday it was God is in charge. On Thursday it was God is stronger than anything. And on Friday it was God surprises us. So on Friday, I was reviewing with the kids, and I had to say, okay, what was the theme on Monday? And we got that one down. And I said, okay, how did God show that he loved Joseph? And we went through each day, and we, I had them explain what it meant and had them explain how that was illustrated in Joseph's life. And as they were doing that, I thought, that's predestination. God didn't throw Joseph to the wolves. Each step in Joseph's life led him to where God wanted him to be. And at the end of Genesis, Joseph said to his brothers, you intended evil for me, but God intended good. You didn't send me down here. God sent me here so that when you guys were starving up in Canaan, I would be here running the joint, and you'd come down here and I could give you food. Wow. So God said, I, yeah, I chose you, but then I made it happen. I love you that much. 
So God planned for this relationship before the creation of the world. Now, any of you know about a relationship, you know that we have to do some planning. We have to, these things don't just happen. But then sometimes our plans cost us. And so the second movement that Paul gave in this thing, first he said God the Father planned for a relationship, but then he said God the Son purchased the relationship. He paid the penalty so that we could have this relationship. In Jesus, Paul said, verse 7, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. Jesus bought us out of sin. He paid the price for our sin so that we could be holy and blameless before God and have this relationship. It was free for us, but it was not free to God. It cost him. And Jesus looked down the barrel of that gun and said, I'm going to do it. I love these people that much. How much are you worth? (laughs) You're worth so much that God said before I even created you. I said, you're mine. And I'm going to pour out the blessings of heaven on you. And I'm going to adopt you as a son or daughter. I'm going to make you mine. Not some distant relationship, but right up close to my heart. You're my children, and you exist to the praise of his glorious grace. But for that to happen, Jesus said, I will pay the price. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He redeemed us. He forgave us of our sin. And then the third thing he did with Jesus' work on earth, he makes known to us the mystery of his will. He made known to us what he's doing in the world. There are people saying, what's it all about, Alfie? What's this thing all about? What's going on? Where Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why do I exist? What am I here for? Paul told us through this Ephesian letter that Jesus has made known to us the mystery of his will. And the mystery of his will is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God is working toward bringing this diverse, complicated, complex, mixed up mess of a world into a beautiful, beautiful culmination where the lion lays down with the lamb. We beat our swords into plowshares and we sit around God's table just as we shared this morning with God himself. All things brought together under God's great plan. In fact, he brought up this, this word again, in whom also we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. So God planned this relationship to the praise of the glory of his glorious grace. Jesus paid for this relationship so that we would live to the praise of the glory of his grace. He redeemed us. He forgave us our sin. He revealed his will to us. And then third, the Holy Spirit processes this relationship. God planned it. Jesus purchased it. The Holy Spirit processes it. 
I don't know about you, but I'm not strong enough to live this Christian life by myself. So Jesus said, I get it. I know it's confusing. It's going to be hard. So I'm sending my Holy Spirit, my own spirit, to live in you. Here's how he wrote it. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians. Now God has set his seal of ownership on us and put his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You say, man, that's a long way to the end of this deal. So Jesus comes back. How do I know it's going to happen? He said, I've already given you the down payment. My Holy Spirit, I have sealed you with my Holy Spirit who lives, dwells in you. And we read about the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He guides us. He protects us. He comforts us. Jesus said, I am going away at this table that night. His disciples were concerned. What's going to happen to us if you go away? Jesus said, I will send you another comforter. He will remind you of all the things I have taught you. He will comfort you. He will encourage you. He will love you. And he dwells in you. He is part of your being. I didn't leave this all to chance. This whole idea of predestination, this whole idea of choosing you, this whole idea of am I going to make it? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to make it. Not on your own. Because he's given us his Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is involved in building this relationship between you and our Heavenly Father. Before God created you, he said, yeah, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one and that one. I even want that one, (laughs) believe it or not. Yeah. Do you feel singled out? You are. You are. Go home and look in the mirror and say, wow, are you something else? What are you worth? You're worth God planning to have a relationship with you. You're worth Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay for your sins. And you're worth Jesus sending his Holy Spirit to live with you and in you, to strengthen and teach you and guide you. That's how much you're worth. It's a beautiful chapter. It leaves a question. What does this have to do with unity? How does this fit into the theme of unity? Well, every noun and pronoun and verb in this chapter is plural. Plural. Now, Yankee English doesn't have a plural you. In the South, it's y'all. They got one. And Greek has a y'all. 
So even the five yous in this passage are plural. What it has to do with unity is when I ask how much are you worth, I have to answer that question. It's, not, it's important for me to ask how much am I worth. That contributes to unity. If I feel good about myself, I'm easier to get along with. But the crucial question is, I look at you, say, who are you and what are you worth? You see, Paul took this statement that he gave us in chapter 1, this, you were marked in him with a seal, the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. Well, you go to chapter 4, verse 30, where he's talking about unity and how it works. In chapter 4, verse 30, he said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he tied chapter 1 to chapter 4. Chapter 1, this relationship we have with God and the fact that God gave us his Holy Spirit because he cares that much about us. And then he brought that up again in chapter 4 where he's talking about this whole business of, of unity, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so you say, well, he's making an obvious connection, but, but what is it? Well, let's look at that verse 30 of chapter 4 in its context. Verse 25 says, be angry and yet do not sin. Paul realized, and the Holy Spirit, as he inspired Paul, realized that we have to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because even these wonderful people that are described in chapter 1 can sometimes be cantankerous. They can be grouchy. They can be stubborn. Anybody know anybody like that? They can be downright nasty. So some of you has a, have a spouse that's married to someone like that. <laughs> and sometimes we get angry. And we would be wrong not to get angry. There's stuff that goes on in the world that should make us angry. So Paul said... Be angry, and yet do not sin. So he showed us how to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, even when we're angry. Listen to the context of this thing about not grieving the Spirit of God. Because there are a lot of ways you could think of that we could grieve the Spirit of God, but this statement only occurs here in all of the Bible. Do not grieve. What's the context? Let me give you the context. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that's good for building others up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Even in your anger, do not choose literally rotten words, words that tear down, but only such a word that's good for edification, for building up according to the need of the moment, that it may be gracious to the one who hears. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all kinds of malice. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. 
And when you don't do that, the Holy Spirit says, it grieves me the way you treated one of my children. Do you know how much that person is worth? And you dared insult them? You dared rip them to shreds? That hurts me, the Holy Spirit says. That grieves me. And it should grieve you. How much are you worth? When somebody hurts you, it grieves God's Holy Spirit. We preserve the unity of the Spirit. Beginning with asking the question. When somebody has insulted me or hurt me, and I want to say, you son of a God, be careful. You are talking to one of God's children, and he doesn't appreciate it. You don't talk nice. We preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace by recognizing who we are. Before you leave, stand up and just do a 360. Look around. And you see the things on this planet that God cares more about than any other thing on this planet. You. <laughs> and everyone around you. How much are you worth? You don't measure it in money. You don't measure it in how people talk to you. You measure it by realizing who God has made you to be and realizing who God has made everyone around you to be. <laughs>